to start the podcast no i don't i don't want to start the podcast ever but i want to i want to start the podcast no that would be the worst thing ever to start a podcast can you believe <laughs> oh boy oh which missy boy. will win which missy, which will, missy win? will win oh man are we gonna have a good missy or a bad missy are we gonna have mm. missy id or missy super ego went out in the end i can't wait for this discussion I am so very excited. Welcome to Red Sharts, uh, the podcast where we talk about classic Trek episodes. That's right. It's me, Emily Pineapple, and Missy. And me, Missy Information, your uh, real, the true red shirt in all of this, my first time going through. I'm just so happy. Hell yes. Um, and today we're talking about one of the most iconic episodes of Star Trek, I mean, we've seen this redone a million times, but is it because they both draw from the same inspiration? Or is it because Star Trek was so inspirational that it took a classic story like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and made it accessible? This is the kind of thing Gene Roddenberry would say about himself. That he made it accessible. Yeah. That he took it into the mainstream and made it accessible. All of these classics that people definitely weren't taught in high school, you know, and, <laughs> and he made them something for everyone. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but today we're talking about the enemy within or uh, the evil and good within. Yes. But what really is evil and what's good? Well, this, in fact, was the only Star Trek program uh, written by Richard Matheson who is a fantasy horror legend writer yeah. and wrote two uh, things with William Shatner that you may have seen. That's right. Both of his Twilight Zone appearances. That's how I know the name. Yes. Yep. I was going to say, is this a Twilight Zone person? Because I recognized the name. Yes. He wrote The Nick of Time, mm -hmm. uh, which is a less known William Shatner one, but literally one of my favorite Twilight Zone, Twilight Zone episodes that uh, involves a little machine at a cafe that you put a penny in and yep. it gives you uh prophecies yes um, and he becomes choose. so so like uh, obsessed with the machine and and goes to the diner and basically lives it out uh and i yes that's a great great yes. one um and also the very famous uh nightmare at twenty thousand feet it's on the wing of the plane. Um, his main influence, of course, was Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Uh, and yeah, this this episode, the other interesting thing about this episode before we start is that technically 
According to the star dates, ooh, as related at the beginning of the episode, this episode uh, precedes the naked time, which we saw last week. Oh, interesting. Does that match with production order? It sort of does, sort of doesn't. The way that they sort of, they were filming a lot of these at the same time. Mm -hmm. Um, And throughout that first season, it was a very compressed sort of schedule. Like this was written, I think, in April of 1966, and it aired in October. Yeah. Of 1966. So, yeah. And this one has production code 5, where Naked Time has production code 7. So I could just see them being so busy they didn't even change yeah. the script at the top. And was just like, read it, put it in, and then that's how it got out of order. That's so great. Yeah. Or and is it because of the time loop that they got Ooh. out of and it's three days earlier? <laughs> oh, my God. It's not oh a continuity error. <laughs> they just went on to their next assignment. Yeah, and it was right away. Just right away. Assignment. <laughs> right away, right away. Um, this episode was directed, another fun fact, by Leo Penn. That's right, father of Sean Penn. What? Really? Yeah. Uh, oh, I don't know if I knew that Sean Penn was a technical Nepo baby. Oh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, Leo Penn, he, I think he directed a couple of episodes, but yeah, father of Sean Penn. Yeah, American actor and director. Huh. You, I didn't know. I mean, he's not uh, in any... Uh, it seems like his biggest thing was The Birdman of Alcatraz, but it's uncredited. I don't recognize any of the, the films in it, but that's so interesting. Oh! It's because he was blacklisted by <gasps> HUAC! Holy shit! What a twist in this... But for, for communism? Yeah, he wouldn't name names. <gasps> oh! That yeah. superego was was stepping in. He was remembering bits of this episode. That that question between being good and evil, fear yeah. and intellect. I, that's very interesting that he they would hire him to direct after. I mean, again, this would have been years after the hearing. Not years, mm-hmm. but you know, five or so years after the hearing. So enough time had gone past. But that's fascinating. That what a what a fascinating figure. Okay, just continue. Yeah. But I I distracted myself. Continue on with the enemy within. The enemy within. So yeah, let's jump right in to our cold open. Uh, this one a little less uh, a little less cold to start with, yes. and then gets mm, pretty shivery. Uh, but we're on we're on a desolate planet. Looks like a desert planet. Could be a desert planet. We know the temperatures are going to fluctuate wildly, mm-hmm. wildly in this episode. But we have lots of rocks, and we have my favorite character in all of Star Trek um, being held by Sulu. That's right. It's a dog in a costume. Boy, I, does it just look like a dog in a costume. I was so happy when this came on screen because I've seen this image before, and I wasn't thinking about it before the se- you know watching the series. And when it popped up, I was like, oh, my God, yes. And uh, uh, oh, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to spoil it, but... It becomes two, and I was like, oh, it's two dogs. Okay, continue, continue, continue. It's two dogs. Um, just so that, so that we're not sort of throwing anything randomly at, at you and people throughout the, the episode, or perhaps at the end of the episode, um, the Humane Society would later say what they did to this dog to get to the performance that the dog gave was illegal. Oh, no. Um, oh, so- no. 
So this dog uh, was probably tranquilized at this moment that it was being held by Sulu because they had to do that a couple of times. Oh, no, that would get him doggy Benzies. Little doggy Benzos. Oh, whoa. Uh, <laughs> benzing up this dog. But it's a cute fucking dog. It is in a costume with a horn. It has a weird tail. I'm obsessed. But Sulu's holding him mentions casually like oh wow like it gets down to 120 degrees fahrenheit below zero after dark because we use fahrenheit here in the far future uh but regardless we have our classic way of moving between scenes in star trek a shout (laughs) crewman fisher he's he's a technical analyst he has slipped off a big rock thing he's covered in this yellow dust and he has a gash in his hand kirk's all all up on him kirk's actually like very like fatherly in this moment the vibes i got of him just being like crewman like are you okay like kirk himself going like oh my goodness crewman are you okay kirk always seems to be caught like he's always very on top of his people being hurt like, he's yeah. the first person to make sure they're okay. He might not have the best solution for it, but he's always there yeah. to be like, hey, what's up? Yeah. He doesn't have a great track record, but he cares. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so they're like, okay, like, beam beam up to sick bay. We're going to beam you up to sick bay. We're in the transporter room as Scotty and another crew member uh, try and beam him up. Um, I believe it's Wilson. Yes. I believe it. Uh, Wilson is indeed it. Yes. Transporter tech Wilson. Um, another black actor yeah. that they were able to get onto Star Trek. Kudos. Um, they're trying to beam him up, but there's like a weird pause. There's a square light on top of the console that's blinking red. Uh, but then eventually, you know, Fisher comes through. And Scotty and Wilson are like, oh, fuck. Like, are you okay, my dude? Uh, what's wrong with your uniform? It looks like there was a magnetic ore all over you. Uh, Which that isn't going to cause any issues whatsoever. This series has never had any issues so far where people go onto a planet and bring something back up. Nothing at all. Nothing like that has happened. Um, Scotty's like, oh my gosh, like that's so weird. It acted like a burnout. Um, and that led to one of my favorite fun facts that I was able to find. Uh, that's right. There's a website of, of a German geologist that just discusses the geology of planets mentioned in Star Trek. Oh my word, of course. He had little to no information because he, he, he likens this planet to the exoplanet 55 Kansari E. Um, which is roughly twice the Earth's radius, but only eight times its mass. Um, And they believe that there is just a high concentration of carbon and oxygen, and that likely whatever mineral was on this guy uh, was one of those. But in any case... (laughs) I'm really fascinated. I want to know more about this geology website, I want you to send it to me so that I can go and review the episodes we've already seen to see if he has anything to say about the desert planet or the ice planets that we've been to. I absolutely will. Most of it is in German. Um. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's fine. I need to brush up on my German anyways. 
Exactly. Perfect. Perfect. So yeah, David Bresson letting us know that they figure out what's on planets by analyzing the uh, frequencies of the light coming off of the stars nearby. Because all of the planets in a star system are made of the crap that's around that star. Uh, yeah. My my brain hurts thinking about that, but it also probably hurt less than me thinking about how they got this dog to do all the stuff that it did. <laughs> so in the meantime, Kirk's like, mm, I'm ready to beam up. And Scotty's like, uh, give me a second to just check out the transporter. Uh, but everything looks okay. So he goes to beam Kirk up. And it takes a while. It takes longer than usual. And when Kirk appears, he like stumbles off of the pad. He's clearly not doing well. He has taken some sort of psychic damage or something. He is not having it. Oh, yeah. And Scotty's immediately just like, whoa, like, Captain, are you okay? Like here like let me let me help you walk like let me get you out of this room oh no did you get another another liquid that turns you into a drunk inebriated person again <laughs> just like oh shit i know how bad this can go we know we know how to take care of this though this time we're ready we're ready uh but no but no he's like okay like kirk's like no i'm just busy don't leave the transporter room unattended mm. But Scotty's like, okay, I'm walking the captain to his room so he doesn't fall and hit his head. They leave the transporter room when suddenly the transporter begins to turn itself on and facing in the opposite direction. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. A close-up of evil Kirk's face. He's twitching like a rodent. And boy, is that lighting making him look evil. It's lit from the bottom. And I was going to say, you can tell. Yeah. You can tell he's yeah. evil by the way they light him. And also just the the way he gives an evil grimace to begin with, just to clearly show, oh, I this ain't a good Kirk. This ain't anything good that's happening here. There ain't anything good. The mm -mm. other things they added to make him look evil was they put a bunch of uh, Vaseline all over his face. Interesting. Yeah. And some eyeliner to make his stare look more stark and staring. I clocked the eyeliner, and I just thought I hadn't noticed it in any of the other episodes. This <laughs> makes so much more sense to me now. Okay, I wasn't being unobservant. It really, they put it on just evil Kirk. That's yeah. so great. Oh my god, that's so great. <laughs> it's sort of like evil bisexual blue eyeshadow. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's, it's, it's the like, eyeliner well, also. Oh no, we gotta we gotta highlight it. Uh, he looks slightly more femme. Perfect. That's the most evil thing you can do to a hetero man like him. <laughs> Space, the final frontier. We get a captain's log after our intro to just explain everything that we've just seen. My favorite part is that they specifically say an evil version of the captain yep. has entered the ship, but the crew is unaware of this yet. Yep. I, yep. I, that's just 100% straight to the audience. That is not the yep. captain's log. That's for the TV viewers at home that came in late right after the opening. I lost yep. it. It was just perfect. <laughs> Just unknown to everybody. What at an the omniscient time. narrator. Just some strange alter ego of me. 
it's been created by a transporter malfunction. He even says why it's mm-hmm. been created. I mean, like, he has he has the hindsight that this is Kirk at the end true. of the episode telling us. So he, I, I understand why the construct exists that he's telling us. It just was out of the blue. <laughs> so, but because none of the other ones have been that. The, the other the other interludes tend to be a bit more like something strange yeah. is happening or blah blah blah. I was acting weird or we have a, it was. It's never so much like this is literally what's happening. Oh, and by the way, it's because of this. Yep. 100%. We get Evil Kirk being evil. He's rubbing on all the buttons mm-hmm. in the transporter room. He's looking around all strange. Uh, Wilson comes in, uh, the other transporter individual. Um, he's like, oh, like, Captain, are you okay? Kirk doesn't even say anything to him. He just kind of like wanders, then like looks back at him and gives him an evil smile and then leaves. Uh, now we're getting back to Scotty. Yeah. Scotty and another Kirk. Scotty's walked good Kirk all the way to his room, opens up the door and who's inside but Yeoman Janice Rand who is going to have a shit time this episode. Oh my god. I Okay, we can't talk about it yet. When we get to that yeah. moment, oh my god. Talk yeah, about Evil Kirk. It's fucking repulsive. It's repulsive how she's treated treated in this episode. It's it's repulsive how they treated actually her the actress. Uh but you know, Janice is inside. Kirk is hella cold to her. Yeah. Good Kirk, it doesn't even really notice her. He just takes the info, she leaves, and he's like, mm, I gotta lay down on this weird bed. Mm-hmm. He just lays down. He, he puts his, his his arm on his forehead and he rests and he says, Oh, I'm so I'm so weak right now. Oh, so docile. Oh, so docile me. Meanwhile, uh McCoy in the med room. Uh, which whose color I didn't really notice this time around. So it clearly wasn't that intense pea green. Oh no, I think it's I think been. they've settled. <laughs> they've settled. Um he's fixing up Fisher and evil Kirk walks in. All he says, he comes in like a demon and just goes Sorry and Brandy. He doesn't respond to Commander Fisher when Fisher's like, oh, hey, Captain, like, my hand is fixed. Look. Nope. Uh, Nope. He wants one thing. One thing. McCoy comes up to him after, like, releasing Fisher, and he's like, what can I do for you, my dear friend Kirk? Kirk grabs him on the back of the neck. Yeah. And just screams in his face. Give me the brandy! Like, they are so nice to him just being, hey, everything okay? And he is just like, and uh, like, I, again, if we are talking about these scripts and thinking of them outside of the space setting of Star Trek and everything, it's like, this is the version of someone where it's like, oh, this is when they're an alcoholic and this is when they're sober. Mm-hmm. And it's like yeah. that. Like, okay, this is the metaphor we're going with on here. And he's just like, I need alcohol in me. That's the only thing I need right now. It's, again, it is it. This is pure it Kirk going through right now. Yup. 
Uh, so this bottle, this distinctive Saurian brandy, which I know that they're probably talking about like the Saurus system, yeah. but I just think of it like dinosaurs, like <laughs> Saurian, like yeah. of that order of being. So yeah. I am only imagining that this is dinosaur brandy. Yes, this uh, is, it has been aged inside of a fossilized dinosaur carcass. Precisely. Um, it was actually a modified George Dickel 1964 commemorative edition powder horn whiskey bottle. <laughs> okay. I mean, sure. funny that it's an actual whiskey bottle. I thought it was going to be yeah. like, oh, it was a gasket from some sort of industrial machine. No, it just was a weird whiskey bottle. Just a weird whiskey bottle. He takes it. He's immediately swigging from it. We see Evil Kirk, he's in a hallway menace, just taking swigs of this bottle, and we see him come upon Janice Rand's room. Mm. No, he walks in, still swigging, and just sort of tosses her abstract art to the side and smiles evilly. <laughs> Meanwhile... Good Kirk is shirtless in his quarters with just a towel, like a hand towel around his neck. I didn't mind shirtless Kirk. I never mind shirtless Kirk. Yeah, there's a shirtless Kirk, uh, fully fully shaved. Uh, <laughs> yes, not, a... not not from production episode two. No, 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 no. sorry. <laughs> this is now post. This is shaven, uh, shaven uh, Shatner right now. <laughs> shaved Shat. Uh. Oh God! Don't call him a shaved shat. Oh no, that's something entirely different. That's an entire. That's a subsection of German pornography that we can't get into. Um, but in any case, he's shirtless. So who else should walk in but Spock? Of course, Mister Spock comes in. He's like, "So McCoy sent me to check on you, um, because you were acting like a wild man demanding brandy. And Good Kirk is like, uh, no, I didn't. And he's mad. <laughs> he gets mad. He gets so mad yeah. at the accusations that he demanded brandy. Like, it's the most offensive thing that could have been done to him. And this is the docile side. This is, like, the yeah. nice side of Kirk. So they're getting nice Kirk mad. Yeah, he's like, what are you talking about? That must be a practical joke. What a funny practical joke McCoy has played on you, Mr. Spock. The idea that I, a paragon of virtue, would demand brandy. Uh, but in any case, good Kirk and Spock go to the transporter, the transform, uh, the transformer room. Haha, <laughs> -ha, because it transforms him. Robots no, in trans disguise. <laughs> Uh, the transporter room, and we see the dog. Yes. The dog in a costume. My favorite character. And Scotty shows them that a duplicate of this animal was created. One gentle, one mean and fierce. Never a savage. Never on screen the same time. Never on screen. We, we have to show them separately in two different shots, of yep. course. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it's just the same dog, one in a box where they get it to bark, and the other yep. just being held on apparently doggy tranks just sitting, you know, not making a damn move or noise. Yep. And so they get this dog to be so ferocious uh, by starving it for I've, 24 hours. I was like, okay, is that yep. what it I was wondering if it had yeah. to do with making the dog angry, that they were like, that was what the Humane Society had an issue with, and that's yeah. just bad. 
that's just bad, bad. It's There's the tranking no... it. Yeah, not, not feeding, feeding it. it. Like, just because you wanted to bark at you. Like, and yeah. it wasn't even that good of barking. They had to, no. like, zhuzh it up with sound effects to make it sound alien and not just like a little. <laughs> But in any case, Scotty's like, we cannot beam up the landing party because if this should happen to a man, the horror on good Cook's, Kirk's face. Horror. Because Kirk is suddenly starting to realize, I don't think this might have this might happen. It has happened. Dun dun dun. We. Uh, go back to Janice Rand. She enters her room and Kirk is in there. He is hiding behind a door with weird circles cut out of it. Mm-hmm. Walks up to her in his eyeliner. She's like, oh, shit. Like, sorry, Captain. Like, you startled me. Like, how can I how can I help you? Um, but she she stops even speaking because he's swigging Brandy yeah. still in her room. Very unlike Kirk. He's very drunk at this point. Very drunk. He says some awful horrifying things like, you're too beautiful to ignore too much woman. Oh, he is basically verbally saying, I am coming to assault you and like physically force myself on you. Like that is the only things that he is saying in there. Mm -hmm. And it was so uncomfortable to watch play out. Like I knew they weren't going to allow anything to happen to Janice, because obviously even just on TV at that point, they censors literally wouldn't have allowed anything to happen. But it yeah. was like the clo- – it's the most intense I've seen on a major yes. show from that time frame that yeah. they even got that close to it. It was rough stuff. It was rough. He's he's forcing kisses upon her, saying, like, don't fight me. Uh, she – you know – Eventually, she is able to scratch his mm-hmm. face when she ha- he has her on the ground. She, thank God, gets to the yep. door and gets it open. Fisher is walking by and she just screams, get Mr. Spock. Yep. Before he, uh, you know, he barely, and Fisher is just barely able to call Mr. Spock mm-hmm. a couple of, like, feet later yeah, before. Yeah, because Kirk jumps after Kirk him. him out. Oh, yeah. And yeah. and there was a weird even moment where he gets scratched where he almost looked like he enjoyed it. Almost was like, aha, yeah. like you're going to fight back kind of thing. Now I get a fight. Like it was, again, pure id of I need some sort of station movement, anything to go right now. And like fucking hell. Yeah. Yeah. So it's horrifying. Um, according to Grace Lee Whitney, who played Janice Rand, uh, while shooting in that scene, because – they felt that she wasn't able to register the proper emotion. William Shatner slapped her across the face. Oh my fucking God. Why? These people are so, ugh. The real villains we always learn are behind the scenes on these things. It's so fucking insane. Yes. Uh, yes. And it's, yeah, it's bad. So meanwhile, we're in Kirk's room with good Kirk and Spock. And Spock is like, hey, there are some horrifying allegations against you. Also, McCoy said that you demanded Brandy and that Brandy was in Janice's room. Mm-hmm. Like, there is something going on here. And Kirk's like, I was in this room resting the whole time. 
which we know is a lie because we saw him just go to the transporter room. Mm -hmm. This originally wasn't a lie in the original script. Leo Penn thought that it would be more dramatic to flip the scenes, so he just flipped the scenes. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Weird. Yeah. I thought it was going to be like they didn't film the scene, but no, it just was, oh, okay. Weird. (laughs) Yeah. That's like... Okay, this is a total tangent, but one of my favorite facts about the movie Clue is that Mrs. Peacock says at a moment something before or after I fainted, and she hasn't fainted yet. She faints in, like, a scene happening later. That's just that's <laughs> total the same situation where it's just like, oh, we're just going to reverse this around, and now everything's backwards. Like, wait, that hasn't happened yet, but I do see – okay, never mind. <laughs> exactly. Um, so – They're concerned. They get into the elevator to go deal with these allegations. Um, But after they get into that lift, we see evil Kirk being a hallway menace and sneaking right into good Kirk's room. So good Kirk's now hidden or sorry. Good Kirk is on his way to figure out what evil Kirk is doing. Evil Kirk hiding out in good Kirk's room. Now here's an even more awful scene uh, where Spock and McCoy make Janice just share what happened to her in front of the person who did it to her. Yeah. They're like, uh, tell uh, Kirk uh, what uh, you uh, said. Uh, what? And, and it's like, and of course, because good Kirk didn't do it. He's, he's is truthfully denying it, but it's like watching a victim being yeah. like told Gaslight. this didn't happen to you. Yeah. Cause she was even like, yeah. well, she literally even says at a moment, well, maybe I misremembered what I did. Cause I swore I scratched your face. And he's like, yeah. Janice, look, like, look at me. There's no scratches on my face. Look at me. Look, I'm it couldn't have been me. This is me, you know? And it's, and it's really awful. And especially because since they switched the scenes, he knows there could be an evil duplicate. Yep. And he's still just like, Oh my God, my reputation. Um, Thank God Fisher is in the med bay too. He comes over and he's like, no, I I saw saw Mm -hmm. you, Kirk. I saw you. McCoy, however, is like, "Mm, I'm going to be an enabling little bitch. Fisher, you need to go back to bed. Uh, Let's just usher you away and try and figure out what's happening. And to be fair, Kirk is a fictional character and therefore... His friends being like, but this is a paragon of virtue. Nothing, he wouldn't do mm-hmm. something of that nature without something being seriously wrong. Um, but in real life, what the actual fuck? It, it, you know, and uh, it, it, for me, it, 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 uh, yeah, I have a hard time talking about this because it gets me riled up. It was so... I don't know. I just was horrifying to watch play out. And yeah. it remind, it just reminded me of these situations where people circle the wagons. And it goes further into my the metaphor that I was reading into it about, let's just say, alcoholism or something, where yeah. it's like a person can get so drunk, inebriated, so out of their mind that they don't remember doing these things and truly think of themselves as a different person. And it's mm-hmm. like that. It's like watching a scene from that sort of drama play out. And it just was like, yes. no, yeah, there's nothing good about this. And again, uh, but again, no. what a thing to address on television. And weirdly handled in a way that is like... so weird. Intense. And- What's weird about this and really sort of sad about it is that 
Grace Lee Whitney did suffer an assault on on Star Trek, like by oh, one of the producers who sh- who remains unnamed in her memoirs in her books. She didn't want to, you know. She's like, this is my story. Um, and that is one of the reasons why we don't see her as much in later episodes. They were already discussing getting rid of her character mm-hmm. because they wanted Kirk to be, you know, free to to fuck woman of the week. Yeah. Um, but that happened to her. An unnamed executive got drunk at a party that they were having. They were both drunk. Um, but she was, you know locked in a room with this person and uh she was pretty fucked up about it and told Leonard Nimoy and Leonard Nimoy apparently comforted her greatly and continued to reach out to her and the the rest of the cast supporting her him and DeForest Kelly especially um she credits with the reason she didn't take her own life Wow, that's yeah, very. This now yeah. hits entirely harder and different, mm-hmm. knowing that information. Uh, yep. Yeah. Um. I don't have any anything else. I think to say on that. That's. I was kind of let that sand. Yep. It's a it's a rough one. It's a fucked one. Um, and. I mean, we sort of see at the end of the episode just the general, I like, feeling of of not taking this kind of thing seriously. Yeah, that came from the male writers of the show, and was clearly at it. Uh, uh, she says that it actually happened to other women on the show that like producers just did this at the time. There were not enough protections there still aren't enough protections legally Mm -hmm. for people um in in those kinds of positions but there were especially fewer then um and so awful shit but mr spock you know he sends janice away and says we have an imposter aboard yes that's how the end because kirk wants to report to the crew and let him know that basically there's a good kind of there's an evil version of him on there but yeah he basically talks spock talks him down and just says let them know this imposter and you can recognize them because he has a scratch on his cheek yes exactly so we're in the transporter room good kirk is holding this dog the good dog chilling out he's like scotty how long is this gonna take um, and Scott's like, I don't know. Like, we need to try and fix the transporter. And he's just blithering. He's freaking out. He's like, there are men down on that planet. They're going to die. They're going to freeze to death. Like, he's getting no therapy from his therapy dog. Alien. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No but comfort at all. No comfort. Well, but and, thankfully, I'm sorry. And we get inter- we get sort of uh, cuts throughout the yes. episode down to the planet where we basically just see sulu and unnamed people with him and his report is and sulu's still cracking jokes like every time he calls up he's just like hey how about that you know delivery uh there i'd even take a long rope at this point if you have happen to have one of those captain for us kind of thing you know but he's shivering and they're getting more and more cold blue makeup put on them as things go on Mm -hmm. they're freaking out thankfully kirk though good kirk has his emotional support vulcan to keep him on track um 
he's like, okay, we need to find the imposter, but we can't hurt the imposter because we don't know what that will do to me, good Kirk. Uh, oh man, like, how are we going to even explain this to the search parties that they're looking for me? That they're, that they're going to find someone else? And Good Kirk's just like, they're a good crew. They deserve to know, and I will tell them. But Spock says, like, dude, you don't have the luxury of being less than perfect. Because if you, you lose their faith, you'll lose command. Mm hmm this is apparently something that is understood uh, by everyone there. Kirk is even concerned. He's like, I don't know why I forgot that just now. That, like, I need to be careful about what I tell the crew. Uh, hey, Mr. Spock, tell me if I'm slipping up again, please. Captain Missy, what do you do? Oh, boy. If I had the evil part of me removed and it's just super ego so i would be even more neurotic and unable to make decisions than kirk is at this point i would be questioning every element about myself and would would basically be sort of in the same situation of being like tell me if i'm slipping up but the difference is i would be telling everyone i'm slipping up and despite yeah. having done nothing and it would be like oh no so how, somehow everything's my fault despite the fact that none none of it is actually my fault at this moment and i would just like spiral and so i would probably be removed from i think the fact that i would learn there was an evil version of me would cause me to spiral so much that they would have to they would have to give me those doggy benzos and make me yeah. Uh, just tranquilized and put me on a fancy little weird sofa bed um, and I would be paint I would be the one painting abstract art to like express myself yeah 100 100 <laughs> percent that would be what's happening absolutely I absolutely agree and as we see good Kirk lose his ability to make decisions more and more I'm just like bro executive dysfunction I feel you hell yeah uh, exactly it's the indecision. It's a powerful force. Powerful, powerful force. So what Good Kirk decides to do is uh, he shares via his log that he is losing his strength of will and decides to tell the crew in a sort of jumbled message because he keeps forgetting bits and like opening the comms again to tell them again. He's like, there, okay, one, there is an imposter aboard. Looks like me, but has scratches on his face. And that's how we can identify him. Uh, and two, please don't phaser this guy to death. Please only <laughs> stun him. But it, but evil Kirk hears this. Evil Kirk's been hanging out in Kirk's room. And he's freaking out. He's freaking out that he's got caught. Freaking out. Screaming. I am Captain Kirk. I'm Captain Kirk. I'm Captain Kirk. I loved it. When that started happening, I was like, yes, swim in the river of Ham Shatner. Ooh. Yes. He is screaming. He is sweating. Uh, and thankfully for him, he realizes that Kirk keeps a ton of makeup yeah, in, his, which, in his room. Which, that made me laugh. The fact that <laughs> canonically Captain Kirk has makeup that he wears and is in there. And I want to know yep. if that is just the explanation for why 
William Shatner is wearing foundation and makeup as Captain Kirk. So they could be like, well, Kirk himself wears makeup. Like, that's just the future. Everyone just wears yeah. makeup. Like, what what gender uh, inclusiveness they have in there right? that men can wear makeup. Like, you go, Captain. You go. You go, Captain. You go. Uh, unfortunately, evil Kirk goes and covers up the scratches, opens up the door and sees why it's Wilson. And he's like, oh, hey, Wilson. You can clearly tell that I am not the imposter due to the lack of scratches on my face. Mm -hmm. Please give me that phaser. And Wilson hands it over. Um, so Evil Kirk just takes the phaser and knocks Wilson the fuck out. Yep. Conk, conk. Conk, conk. Uh, good Kirk, meanwhile, he is just, he keeps calling Sulu. He can't get these men who are dying off his mind. Um, he's freaking out about how they can't help. Scott, then Spock and Good Kirk get the report that Evil Kirk has a phaser, and they're like, "Fuck, we gotta, we have to hunt this guy ourselves. Maybe, maybe we can figure our way out of this." Mister Spock's always here with like, "But can we use our intelligence?" Always the logical one. Always the one trying to figure it out. There has to be a problem solving. The ultimate male brain. The ultimate. Um, and so he's like, okay, clearly this imposter has the same knowledge of the ship that you do. Mm -hmm. He called Wilson by name. He knows where he's going, yep. like in the ship. So good Kirk, Kirk, where would you go if you were trying to avoid everyone? If you were trying to avoid a search and good Kirk's like, mm, the engineering deck clearly which is an excellent set uh that they built out yeah. of some matte paintings elements from other sets some leftover pieces um it's just like this big room with all these wonderful candy colored like buttons i just love the light up candy colored gumdrop buttons on everything yeah. with no labels oh yeah no no label. like that's the best part of it too is that these people just apparently have to memorize where on the position it is because these buttons all have to do something you know yeah. but you just know it there's no labeling in space there's no engraving in yeah. space they don't have time for that we have no time. We have to catch alter egos. Um, but they're wandering around the engineering deck. Uh, Good Kirk even has to be reminded to pull out his phaser. He's like, it's amazing how, but to me, that always makes me wonder what the implication of evil Kirk's knowledge is. And is it just the drive for like, violence and so kirk isn't thinking about pulling out a phaser because he's not thinking about there being danger because there's not an aggression in him like that's the parts that i was trying to analyze yeah. is what they were speaking on with what things he forgot and what parts yeah. of, of evil quote kirk that he needed exactly exactly um because you know we're learning that they're pretty they're pretty connected so they're wandering around. Spock's like, look, we really do need backup. And Kirk's like, I don't want my crew to see me like this. Fair enough. If he, when Janice Rand was like, hey, you attacked me. If he had acted appropriately, which was would be with complete and abject horror mm -hmm. because he believes her and wants her and the rest of his crew to be protected as he's 
acted like he cares about their safety, um, then I could understand him being like, I don't want anyone else to be around this being because this being is hurting people. Yeah, exactly. With my face on. How horrible. Uh, But he says, look, if I'm to be the captain, I better act like one. Evil Kirk hears all of this because he's hiding on top of those machines. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. He jumps down. We get a million close-ups of of their faces. Yes. Just a million. Uh, Good Kirk is approaching Evil Kirk. He's saying, you won't hurt me. You can't kill me. Evil Kirk is backing away. He's like, don't. Good Kirk's like, don't you understand? I'm part of you. You need me, and I need you. Evil Kirk's like, I don't need you. I'm Evil Kirk. But thankfully, Good Kirk has walked him up to a point where Spock can come around behind and just give him a little nerve pinch. Yep, just right on the shoulder, the classic nerve pinch. Classic. So the original script called for Spock to karate chop. Kirk to subdue him or hit him over the head with the phaser. But Leonard Nimoy, our resident mensch and uh, just great actor, um, was like, this is kind of uncharacteristically violent for a peace-loving species like Vulcan. Like, this is a really smart Vulcan. He probably knows everything about human anatomy. He can probably take this guy out with a well-placed pinch. So he told William Shatner about his idea and they practiced it a bit. And they showed uh, the director and Roddenberry and everyone loved it. It became one of his most famous gimmicks and was known in the script as the FSNP or the famous Spock nerve pinch. Interesting. I like that and he they really credit. Yeah, yeah. I like at that point canonically it's still Spock's and not the Vulcan nerve pinch because really Spock yeah. was the one that made it and they didn't have you know the context of a Vulcan's uh, doing it yet. Yeah, and it was more more fun I'm sure. Um, but he credits uh, William Shatner really selling it with that scream. He makes this intense face. He goes, yeah! and the phaser goes off. And then he falls to the ground heavily. He really fucking sells the It pinch. was a great shot. I love it. Great shot. Great, uh, just a great teamwork in that moment. When there really wasn't that much teamwork at that moment, always between those main three actors. Uh, a lot of it was Leonard Nimoy just being like, we are in a scene together. Let us work together. And Shatner being like, but more close-ups should be on my face. Whatever. <laughs> well, we need the shots of the face because it's Chekhov's not scratched face. Because we're going to get another scratch by the end of this episode. So we have to make sure we're this focusing on that face. But you know it's you know it's Shatner's request when that lighting, get that god lighting on his eyes. Every oh, yeah. time, every friggin' oh, yeah. time we see his face, that lighting hits on it. It's so funny. It is absolutely hilarious a couple of times throughout this episode the scratches actually change sides and that is because they uh they flipped the film negatives oh i was be like did they not realize what it was nope it's just the film negatives okay just the film negatives they flipped it at one point they broke the 180 degree rule so they're like oh let's just flip the actual negative interesting no one notices um and 
Honestly, I didn't notice. I didn't notice either. And I'm watching here, you know, and a lot of the stuff that we think of as goofs is, again, just because they're like, this is going to be on air once, yeah. and hopefully people aren't paying that close enough attention. Yep. <laughs> so we have thankfully taken out Evil Kirk, and we are in the med bay. McCoy's like, I don't even know if we can tranquilize this guy. We know literally nothing at this point, but there are two Captain Kirks, so we're just going to bind him to the bed and talk to you, good Kirk, about how you are losing the power of decision to an intense degree. Uh, but Spock is getting kind of excited. He's a little excitable in this moment, and... As a fucking weirdo uh, who likes to examine human nature as though they were looking at a zoo, mm -hmm. um, I understood. You were just like, <laughs> hmm. I, if I were in this situation, I would be like, oh my God. Okay, I know this is like bad and everything, but this has imp the implications. I'm going to be studying the, the implications. implications of this for years. It's amazing. He's like, we have a unique opportunity to examine the two sides of the human mind, good and evil, evil, lust and violence, and, and the good side, compassion and tenderness. And we can see the indications of the evil side are what is making you strong. Without the, it, the power of command eludes you, good Kirk. Soon you will not be able to function as captain the implications that in star trek good and evil are like scientific and somehow yeah. like you know that those are absolutes that exist and if you were to go through a transporter it would sort those two things out for you i mean again that's why i use super ego and id because it's basically the, the closest yeah. concept we have to what this would be but it just is so funny in my mind where it's like oh no scientifically <laughs> these are the qualities that are evil and these are the qualities that are good like that's just like that would just happen if you were to split yourself in a transporter. Oh, just like clearly. McCoy's like, look, you also have the intellect, though. Clearly the intellect is on this good side, and you can use that. You can use your brain to fight. And Spock has a great, like, look. If I seem, in seem insensitive, which he absolutely does. Throughout this episode, I think this is, like, one of the least sensitive Spocks we see. Um, he is a lot more compassionate, I feel like. He doesn't, you know, emotions is the whole thing. Yeah. But Spock's chock full of compassion, yeah. for sure. Um, but he's like, look, if I seem insensitive, I hope you understand. It's just the way I am. I don't know. I just love that. Uh, it was just a great Spock moment. It's just, it's not personal. It's just interesting. It's just fascinating. Fascinating. So we're in the conference room. Good Kirk's in there all by himself. And he's talking to Sulu and the boys. They're super cold. He's like, hey, Captain, um, maybe you could find a super long rope and lower us down a hot pot of coffee? Like, maybe. Rice wine will do if you're short on coffee. Mm -hmm. Which feels like a Gene Roddenberry joke. Uh... Be despite the fact that it's a funny joke and it was delivered extremely well, they did tell the Asian man to ask for rice wine. Yeah. Like, everyone knows what's going on there. We know that Richard Matheson didn't write that part because he didn't write any of that B-plot. Oh, interesting. Yes. That was added in afterwards 
for pacing reasons to sort of give an extra element, I guess, of, of you know, tension. Yeah, I was just gonna say raise the tension a bit because it's yeah, you know, exciting for it's exciting for kids to see someone in danger and they're like, oh no, what's gonna happen? And Matheson was really not into it. He <laughs> I, was I bet. like, mm, B plots, they just fuck up the whole episode. I personally love it because we got more Sulu just quipping along. Yes, I will take hilarious. any more Sulu. So it absolutely worked for right? me. Right? Yes, absolutely. Um, so Kirk, he's just calling around. He's calling everyone, just being like, so how fucked are we? No, tell me. That'll be the best thing for me to do in my current state is to hear how bad things are. A.K.A. me scrolling through social media when I'm anxious. <laughs> he's just doom. He's doom cold calling. <laughs> he's doom cold calling like a fucking wild man. Um, <laughs> Sulu's like, he does a great, I'm going to give room service another call. Ah, hilarious. He's like, they're taking too long with that coffee. We're, uh, could you get us back up before skiing season? hilarious he's working on he's he's still working on his five minute material he's like when i'm back on the oh, ship yeah. i got my stand-up set ready to go oh yeah and i mean they got they don't have shit else to do but heat up rocks with their phasers and slowly freeze to death but thankfully spock has walked in in this moment to interrupt the doom call uh and it's just like hey sulu uh nope we don't have anything together so try and survive just do your fucking best. And Zulu's like, sure. He's like, we've been doing that. That's why we're calling you. That's why we're calling you. But we have a wonderful, uh, again, the best way to cut from scene to scene. Ah! Evil Kirk is screaming. He's tied to the bed and he's freaking out. His vitals are off the charts. They're going all over the place. He's going to die. McCoy is straight up like, You're, the body functioning is weakened because of the duplication. You're both dying. Like, good Kirk, help. Help evil Kirk. Evil Kirk goes over and grabs, or good Kirk goes over, grabs evil Kirk's hand, and he's like, don't be afraid. Use your mind. <laughs> Think. Think. And it actually calms Evil Kirk down. Again, for the a super second. the super ego getting in control of the ego and overtaking the id. It just needed to yep. hear itself. Yep, just needed to hear itself say it's gonna be okay. Good Kirk is like, I have to take him back, and I don't want to. He's a thoughtless, brutal animal, but he's me. And McCoy is like, we all have a dark side. It's human. Spock's like, yes, you need both sides. Like, you have the intelligence. And that is where man's central courage comes from. Don't you see? Evil Kirk is afraid. Mm -hmm. And you are not. So perhaps that's why good Kirk keeps forgetting to pull out his phaser. Yeah. He's just not afraid. He's too chill. He's too chill. He's week one on Gabapentin. <laughs> this man yes. is just chilled the fuck out. <laughs> uh, so we're back in the transporter room. We're trying to find a way to fix this beam. Mm -hmm. So we're like, maybe we'll put both 
dogs into the beam and just see what fucking happens. Let's just we're gonna take our our beautiful creature. No no bad could happen putting a little dog no. through this process. None at all. Not at all. Oh no huh? wait. Oh, oh no. 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 So they put the dog in there. Good Kirk is like worried for the dog. Mm-hmm. So we're so we're already seeing there's like compassion here. He's like, don't hurt him. They tranquilize the evil dog they put them in the beam they come back he's dead jim yep and and we know this because they approach not a dog but a clearly what is a stuffed dog that's being shot from far away <laughs> so they didn't have they didn't have enough tranquilizers for that day of the shots so they just put like a mop they just put like uh you know the costume on a mop and then it said just film it from a distance that'll be good so yeah but we get a yeah right we get a uh, a great uh bones he's dead jim or it's dead Jim. This gem. is the first he's dead Jim oh. that we see in the series. However, in a previous series, because Gene Roddenberry had done a couple of pilots, especially uh, he had a show called The Lieutenant, um, which was about cops. All yeah. of these other fucking shows are about cops. He's often trying to address the same things mm-hmm. because especially when he was a younger man, he unfortunately had one of those things where it's like, he was always an asshole, but he was definitely tr- like working to be anti-racist okay. when he was young. Yeah. As he got old, he got kind of racist. Uh, okay. It happens. Re- uh, regression. He's a bad person, and I don't like him. But he did have uh, dementia that began, and an unfortunate thing that sometimes happens with people is that their worst selves take over at a certain point but um it was in one of these cop shows that deforest kelly was in Mm -hmm. which was how they met when on multiple occasions he would say he's dead captain to the police captain oh so he had that in the back of his head he's like yes hey deforest i know there's there's a line i know you can deliver for me Oh, yeah. You remember our because, line there, DeForest? DeForest oh, yeah. going, yeah, 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 yeah. I remember. He's dead. Thanks for letting dead. me wear a t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> um, because he is wearing a t-shirt throughout this episode. Mm-hmm. I just love that. I mean, it makes sense. He's a doctor. He needs to be able to wash his hands all the fucking yeah. time. Um, but he is the only one who gets to wear a t-shirt uniform. Um. This moment uh, in which this dog is being tranquilized uh, is also one of the few times when you can see that the middle finger on Scotty's right hand, James Doonan's hand, is missing. Wait, what? Uh, Yeah, he lost it when it was struck by a bullet or shrapnel during D-Day. He was um, on the fucking beach knew, in 1944. I knew he was in World War II and was, like, in battle and stuff. I had totally forgotten that he had a finger missing. Interesting. Yes. Um, great pains were taken to conceal this absence during the series. Even there are often close-ups of his hands while he's doing something. And they just use, like, another person's mm-hmm. hands. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is one of the few times when it can be seen, when he reaches in to, to tranquilize the dog. So, we have a dead dog. We do. On the transporter stage. But it's one dead dog. It's not two dead dogs. Yes. They did make it yes. one dead dog. 
It is one dead dog. Half, half win? Half win. Spock is like, obviously, this dog died because of the shock of being put back together. It had no idea what was going on. That's clearly <laughs> yeah. what killed it. They basically, this, this dog was a mess before we even tried doing anything <laughs> with it. Like, this is clear. We, this is the most obvious thing that happened here. It was sort of just like, if you if you knew, why'd you do I mean, I get, but yeah, it just shows that they were willing to like, basically do animal testing and just be oh, yeah. like, I mean, it's not the captain. It's better, this, better it happens to this animal than him first. Exactly. Um... Meanwhile, McCoy's like, my dude, we need to autopsy this thing. We don't know what killed mm -hmm. it. And if you go through there, it might kill you. Fun fact from IMDb, from the trolls of IMDb, technically an autopsy is only when a human body is being examined by other humans. Hence, autopsy. It would be, in fact, a necropsy. Oh. Hmm. Because the dog's not a human. Okay, can I perform a necropsy? But the problem is that would sound like he's trying to do something right? something with the body inappropriate after it died. Yeah. Just to be like, necro what? Nec what? What, what did they say? Disgusting. <laughs> it's just like, how on earth would it make any sense if he didn't say autopsy? Yeah, you know what? In this case, you're right. I'm not going to feed the trolls and be like, we all, I understood what he was saying without having to go, well, wait a minute, etymology. I was just like, yep, okay, they're going to cut up a dead body. The end. Yep. Like, there would, I would be more like, huh. And I know the difference between these because mm -hmm. I am a little freak. I'm like, ooh, a vivisection is when they're still alive. <laughs> oh, like, no. I read Island of Dr. Moreau. Oh, like, I didn't know that's what that was. But yeah. so dissection is when they're dead and vivisection is when they're still alive? Um, a dissection is is just the act of like dissecting okay. a thing. You can dissect anything. Okay. It's to take a thing apart. And like an autopsy is on a like a dead mm -hmm. human. Necropsy is on a dead other thing. And vivisection is on a living thing. Well, good. Now when I use that word, I know to properly use it only in the context of a physical human being suffering yes. the most unfortunate of series of events. Precisely. Okay. <laughs> so McCoy and Spock are both trying to give their opinion to Kirk because that is their role. They in many ways act as a super ego and id to or to the ego that is Kirk. Um, Spock's like, dude, clearly this is shock. I am an alien and I have two halves and my intelligence is what keeps me together. So I know that this will be fine for you, Kirk. And McCoy is like, we need to autopsy the animal He's basically to like, figure out what the fuck killed he's it. He's like, dad, death, dead, death, dead. <laughs> Daddy, death, dead, death, dead, dead. We need to death and death. What are you dead? He's dead. Did you do not hear me say the D-E-A-D -E word, Jim? Like, we're just going to go off of what this science officer thinks because he feels similar to the dog? Like, but what? Good. Kirk makes a decision. Finally. At first, he's really just agreeing with whoever spoke last. Yeah, really. Which I thought was really funny. He's like, yes, Spock, no, I need to go through it. Yes. And then McCoy's like, no, like, we need to do an autopsy. And he's like, yeah. no, you're right. You're right, McCoy. <laughs> yes, we McCoy, need to do right. the autopsy. And then Spock is like, 
Okay, but also there's like five humans dying on the planet. Oh, right yes, now. you're right, Mr. Spock. Yes, yes. And that is... And I'm wondering if that is why they actually put in the B-plot. Because at this point, like, if there weren't people on the planet, there wouldn't be a reason to not do the autopsy. Oh, that, yeah, to put the added time ticking timeline of... Kirk's yeah. motivation is also to rescue it. He does it also yeah. in the hopes of rescuing his fellow crew members, not yeah. just for saving himself. It's it is exactly. both a selfish and selfless act for him to go through mm -hmm. with the risk of dying being a part of it. Yes, yes. Um, but before he even makes this decision, <laughs> good Kirk just speaks for all of us when he just says. Somebody make a decision. Help me! Yep. This, uh, that is the cry of every single person at this point who's just like, can someone else make a decision and I will just go forward from there? But like, y'all are looking at me and I'm looking at all... Have you not noticed I'm looking at all of you? Like, I don't know what's happening here. Just like, who is picking a restaurant, okay? One person needs to make the decision and my brain will not allow that to happen I'm, because I just had a work day. I know I'm the birthday boy, but this is really stressing <laughs> me out. It is my present, your present to me is to suck. Oh God. Um, but when he says like, help me, Spock's like, are you relinquishing command? Yeah. Because honestly, that is what all of so all of these men served in the army mm -hmm. in various forms and uh and Roddenberry of course was also a cop and so there's a lot of interesting things in here about chains of command yes. and about military structures that someone who like the closest I have ever been to that kind of hierarchical environment is a film set mm -hmm. and as many moving parts and how important it is to have a set hierarchy so that things can get done. The, there is no life or death issues going on on a film set. And so I found that just very interesting. The idea that like, no command actually does mm -hmm. mean like you have to be the one to pull to the trigger. Yeah. Like you have to make the decision. It, 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 Cause I can't remember exactly what they said, but they basically said in essence, if you want us to make a decision, you have to yeah. make the decision to, step back so no, that we can make a decision but we can't yeah. make this decision until you give us permission yeah. to do it and this is the only yeah. way that you can do and it was really yeah it mm -hmm. was so fascinating where they basically like we're trying to help you but like we are bound by our oath or whatever you know they didn't go quite that much but it's like we yeah. we can't break it because good the part if if you were whole kirk you would be telling us not to break our command. Like, you know this is important yeah. as we do. So, like, mm -hmm. you, yeah, it, yeah it, it was fascinating. It was fascinating. And I do love how uh, the dynamics between those three men mm -hmm. really shown in this episode. Yeah. I really liked how, um, how strong you felt their friendship was. Yeah. That they were really standing with Kirk and supporting him in the way that he needed to be supported. Yeah. Um, it's always amazing not how... Not just taking things over for him. Yeah. How Bones is, is a little hard, but he's always the one mm -hmm. that is emotionally available for Kirk right away. Even if that's sometimes not what he needs necessarily. But, like, he's the one that is much more in tune to the emotions of Kirk. Whereas, obviously, Spock is much more 
in terms of the thinking, the line of command, that that yeah. chain of command kind the of thing. The line of command. Yes. The duty. And it's interesting that every time, and we've seen this multiple times, like when something is going wrong with Kirk, you call Spock. Yes. To call in Kirk. Like Kirk is demanding sorry and brandy. You have Spock. You have Spock come in and do I mean, one, because he's he is the you know, the second in command, and so it doesn't make the most sense. But he yeah. said the reason he's an amazing second in command, or number one, yes. I guess is what the term would be, is because of the fact that he knows the captain so well and is like yes. the ying to his yang in a lot of these different scenarios and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Um Good Kirk makes the decision. Yep. He's got to save all those guys down on that planet. He's going to the transporter. But before he does, he has to have a final chat with Sulu, who is almost dead. Like, yeah. Sulu is having a hard time even getting, like, two or three words yeah. out. He, no, there's no uh, one-liners. There's one-worders. <laughs> one-worders. Um, he, Good Kirk goes over to Evil Kirk. And he's like, we're going through the transporter. Evil Kirk's like, is there nothing that I can do to stop you? And Good Kirk's like, no. Like, we have Mm -hmm. to go through the transporter. Which is a lot like talking to your own inner child. Like, sweetheart, I know we want ice cream and to sleep for the rest of the day. But we have to get up, eat breakfast, and go to work. It's going to be okay. And much like an inner child... Evil Kirk throws a temper tantrum and loses <laughs> Absolute it. Absolute tantrum. But he's, he's screaming. He's like, oh, no, sure. I want to live. I want to live. He's ah! He gets up. He is like, oh, I'm so weak. Pretends to, like, pass mm-hmm. out so that he can get on top of good Kirk. Knock him the fuck out. And he takes good Kirk- Kirk's shirt. We have the introduction of this great wraparound green shirt Mm -hmm. versus the normal sort of mustard shirt to tell the difference between the two. But he takes the good Kirk shirt and he's off to be in a hallway menace. Oh, yeah. Um, And scratches Kirk, too. He scratches him so they can't tell the difference. He's walking through the hall. He sees Janice and he's like, oh, hey, Janice. Um, Funny story. There is an evil version of me running around, and that's who attacked you, Mm -hmm. the evil me. But I'm the good me now, so we can hang out later, right? I'm just going to come to your room later. And Janice, like, she actually, like, barely even responds. You can see fully in her face that she knows that that is the evil Mm -hmm. Um, And once again, like, this is the horrible injustice of what happens to Grace Lee Whitney, she was such a wonderful actress on this show. Agreed. And in other shows, she is so expressive with just her face and she is, she, they just give her such great moments. And it's really a tragedy that we don't get to see her throughout the rest of the series um, for various reasons. Of course, they were already getting rid of her, thinking of getting rid of her character, which would have been shitty and injustice for normal sexism reasons. Yeah. She knows. But Evil Kirk gets to the bridge immediately. He's like, okay, boys, let's fly away. Let's fly away as fast as yeah, possible. He's like, well, they're screwed. They've all, I've gotten the report back. We can head out of here. Like, everyone is looking at him. No one is making a move. Mm-mm. They're like, um, there are 
people on the planet and he's like nope they're we gotta go we gotta go but that's when good kirk and mccoy appear on the bridge yeah and evil kirk cannot keep it together he's like that's clearly the imposter over there look at that imposter being go, all go get him impostery and like of course good kirk is just standing there calmly with mccoy next to him mm -hmm. and it's like evil kirk use your fucking brain like obviously they're not gonna do what you say when a calm dude with another calm dude both of whom are on the hierarchy above us but it's that id you gotta action you gotta say anything do anything to get out of the situation yeah uh fucking spock ends up on the on the bridge the crew are like mr spock what do we do because there's two kirks right now too many spock kirks says, too many kirks too many kirks too many kirks uh the crew and spock's like we'll let the captain deal with this <laughs> he's the captain we're gonna let him deal with this Evil Kirk, again, he's losing his grip. I'm scared. I don't want to die. I don't know if killing you means I'll die. And I want to live. I want to live. I'm the captain. The ship is mine. And Good Kirk is like, this is how we'll live. We'll live together. Yes. Can half a man live? Is his question to mm -hmm. Evil Kirk. Wow. If you kill me, we're both going to die, you fucking coward. I know you're scared. And they hug it out. They hug it out. Yep. Beautiful. Beautiful. They frog march Evil Kirk to the transporter. And Good Kirk just hugs Evil Kirk tight with his face facing away. <laughs> and, and so it's definitely not to hide the double. Absolutely not. <laughs> definitely not to hide that that it's a double that really does not look like William Shatner from behind. Oh, not really at all. <laughs> That's okay. But it's okay because they got uh, the flesh parts together and he didn't die on the floor in a heap like that weak-willed dog. That exactly. stupid weak-willed dog just didn't want to survive hard enough. They just <laughs> mentally says, thought, I want to live. If it, if it had screamed in doggies, yeah. I want to live just before, it would have been fine. Because yeah. then the other dog would have hugged fine. him out and then gone through. <laughs> they needed to hug it out. That's It's the power of love, really. But Kirk says to Spock right before they go through, like, Mr. Spock, if this doesn't work. And Spock says, understood, Captain. Yeah. I wonder what he went to say to Spock. What do you think? he would have meant to say i think that it was sort of like an unspoken like thank you for being such a good officer and mm. for taking control of this starship yeah. once i'm dead oh yeah it absolutely was to me like you're in charge like you realize what you realize what this means for you you'll be the captain yeah. you're taking it was such a small moment but you're right it was like yeah. so much was said in that moment it was yeah it was great and it's those moments like those moments between spock and kirk and it's so meaningful and it's so um, it's things like this that led to slash fiction saving fucking Star Trek because all the fans saw that and were like, they're gay. <laughs> they're in a relationship and I need to write a million pages about it and I need to send out my fanzines yep. all over the country and we need to be, Make you know, together. Queer. Make it queer. 
It's like make it so. Make it so. From make, next it, make it queer, make it number queer. one. Make it queer. Make it queer. <laughs> they hold tight. They go through the transporter, and they're all back together and all alive. Spock and McCoy are hella concerned mm-hmm. because Kirk is just like there for a second, and then he smiles, and he's like. Get Sulu the fuck back up here. Like, get those men up here right the fuck now. And a good Kirk smile. Not an evil Kirk smile. It was great. Yeah. They're wheeling the men into sick bay. Apparently, they just have frostbite and exposure, but they're alive. They're alive. Body count for this one. Zero. Zero. We ask Kirk, how are you? And he says, I've seen a part of myself no man should ever see. God damn. Fair enough. That would be horrible and traumatic. So he goes to the bridge. He thanks Spock from both of us. Mm-hmm. Interesting choice. And then we get uh, another horrifying and fucked up moment. Two moments in this episode. Janice Rand apologizes to Kirk. Oh, my God. And wants to talk about it. And then Kirk is like, let's just not. Oh, man. Horrible. She's just like, oh, "Oh, like, I saw the imposter. The imposter explained to me what happened. And I want to say I'm sorry. Like, essentially. Oh, my God. Fucking awful. And then she hands something to Spock. Who says, like, wow, you know, Yeoman, that imposter certainly had some interesting qualities, huh? And that's how the episode ends. It just was, I... Yeah. It, Grace Lee Whitney talk about was not, very unhappy talk about, not sticking about the landing. that last scene. Yeah, talk about yeah. not sticking the landing. Like, that really... Ugh. Like... Yeah. She wrote this in her autobiography. Oh, it's uh, so hard about involving this stuff in plot lines. Because, like, yeah. I, I just, I'm sorry, I just didn't get this out of my head. It's just hard because oh, it's please. like... When you have depictions of stuff like this, it can help people who are, have experienced that trauma but yeah. haven't seen it depicted and, like, are able to yeah. vocalize it for the first time and, like, being able to realize certain things about their experience. And that's why depictions of these things can be good. Mm-hmm. But then knowing that so much of this stuff wasn't resolved and it's, like, my frustration. Like, if you um, if you cross-listen to streams and you've been listening to my episode of Not a Hate Watch, one of the things that I hated about the morning show was the fact that it dealt with sexual assault of women by news anchors. Like, basically a Matt Lauer over thing. Mm-hmm. But it's the type of show that's, like, doing it for entertainment and the type of people who yeah. watch that show then go around and don't give a fuck about actual victims in real yep. life and that's what yep. I'm always struggling with when I talk about these things is the victims in real life that get so swatched over and I'm glad that we are taking yep. a, a chance to talk about this on this episode as much as it is so uncomfortable and why it's it's yeah. it's a thing I, I truly do not like I mean you can hear me starting I truly do not like yeah. talking about it because it's an area that I just don't like to go but it yeah. it is interesting to me that this show went there it is so like I was not expecting that whatsoever to pop up in a Star Trek app like this. Like maybe like we've seen like the uh, I, I, I don't use this lightly, but quote light sexual harassment in the sense of that it yeah. wasn't anything that would get close to assault. And then we just have yeah. our main character outright, you know, even a bad version of themselves just 
assaulting, assaulting someone and and not in a and in rosy situation reincorporated yeah into himself and and which is separating that from what happened with the actual yeah. actress that is going on here and the fuckedness of that and fuck yeah. but like it, it it yeah that to me was was something in this episode that even just apart from the the good and bad Kirk, which like would have been interesting enough, really just like made this episode a, 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 a layered it's a watch. Very complicated yes. one. Yeah. So this is, uh, and we, so we're going to the end of the plot and everything. You have talked about this episode being a favorite amongst Star Trek fans. I am now intensely curious as to the reasoning for yeah. that is it mostly the plot line of just a good and bad kirk and that is interesting or does it dive into the the topics that was dealt with within the episode because of that less so of that um a lot of the reasons why it is beloved is because of the the goofy performances mm-hmm. goofy fun the sort of like i am captain kirk yeah yeah i yeah. am captain kirk and the the iconicness of the splitting of like good and evil sides yeah. of the captain you don't really hear about this part of it and and i think that you're right just the so in in grace lee whitney's autobiography she wrote i can't imagine a more cruel and insensitive comment a man or vulcan could make to a woman who had just been through that yeah. but then some men really do think that women want to be assaulted yeah so the writer of the script ostensibly richard matheson although it could have been added by gene roddenberry or an assistant gives us a leering mr spock who suggested that she enjoyed the situation and found evil kirk attractive despite this whitney enjoyed the episode she said i love the enemy within because it gave me a chance to really react and act with william shatner I loved it. I loved the whole concept of him breaking into two characters because it that really was what Kirk and Rand were about. They were two sides of Kirk and two sides of Rand. Rand was there to be of service to him, but she was also in love with him. Mm-hmm. But she knew she mustn't go over the boundaries. And I find it really disappointing because she had 100% of the acting talent to display this issue in a way that isn't horrible Mm -hmm. i think that she gave an incredible performance and i think that all of her performances in this show are incredible are layered are complex and i think that if we had gotten to sit with yeoman rand through this and and didn't have all of that bullshit at the end we could have gotten a really interesting exploration of this issue and of the real issues around mm-hmm. assault that happen, you know, the the ones that are very clear cut and the ones that are that feel especially as a narrative to be what people like to call murky. Yeah. The blurred lines narrative. To be able to see Grace Lee Whitney who had so much just intensity in her performances and her face in the way that, especially like in Charlie X, where we see her really dealing with a complex situation of like, I know that this boy cannot understand that you shouldn't smack a woman on the ass, but I need to deal with it. 
and I need to deal with this crew. Like, that's so interesting, and we don't get that because Gene Roddenberry's monster. Um, it, I f- it does make me feel better knowing that Grace Lee likes this episode. Yes. Because if this was something that ended up being a fraught thing for her, I would have a harder mm-hmm. time with it being as beloved as it is. You know, I mean, again, not to knock other people's, you know, not to yuck yeah. people's yum. But this, when I hear about this kind of stuff, I can't help but have it paint and yeah. tint what I'm watching. You know, hearing yeah. about the 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 monsters that are happening behind the scenes of, of yeah. monsters that are on TV and everything like that. Um, and I feel like it's in dis- like it is not what we are not able to pull apart those two yeah. things from this episode. The way women yeah. were treated on and off set on this on this series under Gene Roddenberry, <laughs> under that studio system at the time, you can't pull those two things apart. And we haven't gotten it to it yet, but a spoiler for the next episode, Mud's Woman, which. <laughs> Normally we have a, oh, what do you think the episode's going to be about segment at the end? I can't do that because I watched that episode accidentally out of order. So I've already seen Mud's Woman. And that has to do with human trafficking. Like the entire episode is about human trafficking and other other stuff as well. But like this back to back is like, god damn. It's wild. It's wild. Um, So again, this episode is primarily remembered for the incredible, the zany, the campy performances of William oh, Shatner. Oh, yeah. His is... As good and bad Kirk. Just even as evil Kirk, apart, the non-rapey sections, how yeah. he is hamming it up, and the... Oh, yeah, the... I'm I Captain Kirk. Captain. I don't want to... I, oh, just... The ye- ship is mine! Yelling to the back of the theater when you're just on set. Like, amazing, amazing acting. But not like... Not getting so crazy that it ever felt unbelievable. Like, that's, I think, the, 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 the balance of these shows that's so good. Is that it is campy, mm-hmm. it is fun, it is silly, but everyone in it is still taking it so seriously that it works. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that is definitely part of it. And definitely part of why I love Spock's characters so much. There is there's a lot of psychological realism to the characters. Yeah. Um Scotty, in his book, Beam Me Up, Scotty, um, or in a book about him called Beam Me Up, Scotty. I actually have no idea who wrote this. Uh, Oh, he wrote it. In his book, Beam Me Up, Scotty, he stated that he thought William Shatner's performance in this episode was, quote, pretty okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, World's (laughs) finest television critic, Scotty. Oh my God, that's perfect, James Duan. Duan, I believe is actually pronounced his name. What what a fucking du- troll! I love that. Pretty okay. Yeah, it's pretty okay. It's pretty okay. It's pretty okay. I'd make different choices, uh, but I I understood why he did what he did. Yup. So that is the evil, the enemy within. We both want to call it. I love how we both want to call it the evil within. I love that because it's just. <laughs> evil and i and i find it so interesting um because this is such a fraught episode because it has so many weird things in it missy i'm curious if you were given the ability to rewrite this episode what would you perhaps change about the characterization of good and evil kirk 
to fix uh, or perhaps just not approach issues that perhaps shouldn't be yeah. approached in this way. I So the scene for me, um, I mean, I wouldn't change most anything about this because I think the episode works as a whole. I, I would... See, my, my answer is to try and fix the assault plot line. And I think the way you do that is by simply changing the ending. And my imagination where that conversation would go is you have Kirk in his hole as two people. Janice comes to him and is like, I, underst I understand that that wasn't you. But I'm struggling mm -hmm. because that was you a part of you something within you that came from you and now mm -hmm. i'm i'm scared and worried and this pain you know yeah. this is painting my tainting my view of you as the captain i don't want it to, whatever you know and if she doesn't yeah. want that experience to define her relationship that's yeah. okay it's okay to have your character to have the agency to choose to not have this be something that yeah. permanently keeps them like, there'll be trauma there, but if they want to address it and, and to do with it, again, because it's a different situation where we know, you know, it's not the same person abusing, you know, this is this is obviously fiction and different kind of scenario. But to deal with the fact that, and, and maybe the question is, is that still within you, Kirk? Do I need to be worried about you? And however that resolves, I don't have the other half of that conversation. I don't have what Kirk says that makes things okay, partly because... As a person who understands trauma and victimization in the proper term, not victimizations as in yeah. trying to make themselves a victim, but actual victimization, yeah. that that all is going to come from Janice. That's not going to be yeah. something Kirk can do. So that's almost why I don't think about Kirk's side of the conversation in that point, mm -hmm. because it will just lie on on her and, and everything within it. And I and think about it, you know, and that's maybe where the hugest disservice is. I mean, and cut the whole, I mean, obviously Spock... I, I, that was so yeah. out of character for me. That part needs to go too, but just it really was out of character, yeah. out of pocket, not rude, just fucked I, up. I, I know it's most likely because censorship, social commentary, everything of the era wouldn't allow that conversation to actually happen. But you don't, un, you don't undercut it by trying to make it a joke or trying to make it okay by cuz cuz they they made it okay by other people saying it was okay not having yep. Janice say it was okay she doesn't have the yeah. agency in this to do cuz cuz her Spock makes a joke about it and then Kirk as his superior cuts her off and so that's where she she sits is is on there yeah. and you can't just cover that up with saying, well, this character loves Kirk and so she would love forgives all kind of stuff. Like that's one right. of that's that's what an abuse victim, you know, does is 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 forgive yeah. all with love and everything like that. So yeah. That's what I yeah. would how I would approach it. I'm I'm curious about that at the end. But, you know, in terms of I am not I, I there's a temptation to say, well, I would cut that plot from it, but I'm actually like, no, I want that to be addressed. But it just maybe needs to be addressed better. And also Maybe we lose part of the subplot. We cut down other elements of it to get to there, you know? Yeah. I that I find that really interesting because my first instinct thinking of that was to just straight up cut yeah. all of those scenes and perhaps show a different way in which the good sides and evil sides relate yeah. to Janice. Um, 
for example, I don't like that he and his evil side is he doesn't notice her as his good self, as his compassionate self. And so that really puts his entire attraction to her within the camp of lust and evil, which is a very sort of backwards way of thinking about uh, love and affection well, and, and, also, and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, not to, not to get too much into this, but it's also a backwards way of thinking about lust in a way. Yep. Of saying that lust inherently is evil. And, like, clearly the way Kurt's doing it, fuck it is. But just yeah. desiring someone on that way isn't yeah. necessarily a bad thing. And so that even, too, of saying, like, well, basically good Kurt... Be good Kurt... Good Kurt, good Kurt being asexual. Is asexual. Yeah, is being asexual yeah. or whatever. It means that he's That's good. Weird. And it's very puritanical, you know. And But again, yes. I, I understanding that they needed to define the extremes because that is the story mm-hmm. that we're telling. you know, And, and in relating it off of Dr. Jekyll yeah. and Mr. Hyde, that is the distinction that goes into there between the two different personalities, you know. Yes. I think that, though... Given given what you're saying, and I am, am really inspired by that, I think that a more mature way of doing this episode would be to have that complex feeling at the end where now Janice, he has lost. His concern is he is losing the respect yeah. of the crew and therefore the command. And he ends this episode, everyone has seen his vulnerable side. Mm-hmm. It happened on the bridge yeah. with everyone seeing him screaming and crying. But he retains command. He retains their respect. And I think that it would have been interesting to have the fact that he doesn't fully win. Yeah. He does lose Janice's respect. He does lose his ability to be her commander. Yep. Because he is not a trustworthy and safe place for her, regardless of how much he wants it to be and how much she wants it to be. And perhaps if that was what they wrote into and she transfers ships. Yeah. Yeah. As that feels like a win for everyone. She understands that the Kirk who stands before her isn't technically the person who attacked her, but it's also respecting what she yeah. went through but she can't re- and... she can't remove that from it and it's like no. you know yeah it's exactly it it, it it just and so he does end up losing something he loses yeah. his, his trusted crew person and and i don't know i just think that that's a lot more compelling but that's definitely not something that i think could ever happen on a Roddenberry no. it's a, It is unfortunate because it is the duality of, one, just the treatment of women at that time and the treatment of that character yeah. as not someone whose opinion or thoughts or anything is important enough for us to delve into in our 50 minutes Her original each week. description in the scripts were, she is not dumb, she is very female, disturbingly so. Yeah, so exactly. Like, who describes people like that. we already know the treatment opinion of it by how the other characters treat at the end so we know that's that's yep. you know, but the other part of it is is that because we are in a non-serialized episode of the week type show we don't have the time to delve into what happened and everything. like even in talking about this thinking about our last episode 
we don't deal with the fact of how everyone acted while they were under the influence of yeah. this thing. No one, no one is sitting and going like, oh, you know, Zulu almost stabbed me. Or like, this person was, yeah. was being racist, racist and Irish, you know, kind of. You know, it's like, I don't know. Yeah. All of these things where it's like the same kind <laughs> of, well, you're the person that I saw and you were doing those things and said yeah. those things. But now I know you're not. But what does that? Yeah, exactly. It, it, it yeah. sort of is. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's complicated. It's something that comes up whenever we are engaging with, I mean, any fiction, yeah. any text, oh, yeah. but especially fiction and texts that are older than us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I and I think it's a really valuable. Uh, I think it's still really valuable as a discussion, yeah. as a thing to look at, as a thing to inform uh, what is being created today absolutely and how we choose to remember these things we can choose the way that gene ronberry tried to talk himself up after star trek ended um about how he's the great bird of the fucking galaxy walking around being like this progressive you know nonsense maker or we can choose to remember it more realistically mm-hmm. and have that inform who we want to see behind the scenes yeah of our Star Trek, of our television shows, of how we want people to be treated in the media that we are consuming. To boldly treat people the way that they should be treated. (laughs) (laughs) As humans. As humans and as Vulcans. uh, I think that's just the most heartbreaking thing is they give the meanest line to Mr. Spock. Yeah, that's, that's a bummer. I mean, everything about it's that, that whole situation is a bummer. It's a bummer. But, but. we're next week, we're going to boldly go uh, wildly swinging <sighs> to a different tone. To a, basically a swingers convention in space. My word. Just something wild with my absolute favorite character in the entire goddamn series. Harry Mudd. Harry Mudd. I, we can't get into it. We can't get into it right now. But my God, does he make human trafficking seem so much fun? <laughs> like, my God, he's the most fun human trafficker I think I've seen in fiction. Like, oh, Missy, I am so excited for you to see him in his future episodes. Oh, too. my God, I can't wait. Like, we, if this is my first taste of, of mud. Uh, I can't wait to get uh, good to dive into the mud pit again. Just get into a nice mud bath. But that will be for the next episode. <laughs> Our journey is done for today. Emily, this has been a wonderful discussion, as we always do. I, I mentioned the people. We talk about Star Trek, the good, the bad, and the gene of it all. Uh, <laughs> this episode definitely, unfortunately, went into some areas. But um, just, despite getting into the uncomfortableness, I am very glad we had this conversation. Hopefully because it will be a way that other people can can help deconstruct some of their thoughts on how this is portrayed in media as well. Um, and hopefully you all enjoyed our discussion and, and it didn't bring you too down. You know, it's, it's hard, but this is a, sometimes we have to go very serious. Very serious. If anyone's interested in learning more about Gene Roddenberry behind the scenes and issues related to this and other, 
uh, things in Star Trek, I recommend Jessie Gender on YouTube. Uh, she has a video called Jean's Vision, which I very much recommend, as well as many other videos about Star Trek and about the making of Star Trek and the original series mm -hmm. uh, with lots and lots of sources. And great humor. And uh, she looks hot and hell, hot as hell in them. Hell so. yeah. That's all for this episode. We'll be back next week with another journey into the beyond. <laughs>